the Doomsday Prepper's Guide to the MCAT. It's me, your host, Michael, and today we are going over not our last topic, but our last introductionary topic to the whole, like, MCAT practice book series and stuff like that. And what I mean by that is that biochemistry is our last subject before we move on to, like, the part twos of all of our podcasts. So so what is biochemistry? Well, biochemistry is exactly what it sounds when chemistry and biology come together. But let me go more in depth than that because that's a smart ass answer. Biochemistry is studying the biological interactions of life, the diversity of life, through a chemistry lens. I had a mentor and a research professor who told me that molecular biology is the very close cousin of biochemistry. In molecular biology, you learn like DNA replication, DNA helicase, um, topoisomerase, things like that. The telomeres at the, the strands at the end of the chromosomes, they play a role in aging, but there's other factors coming out right now. Also want to do. I want to uh, share with you some things that I read on aging research because I'm really interested in that. That's something I want to pursue in the future as a researcher. But biochemistry is very unique because it gets into the nitty gritty of molecular biology essentially. Because you can take the general knowledge of gen chem and ochem and you can see all these trends and patterns that also apply into a biological context, which is amazing. To put it this way, think of the elements on the periodic table. And when they come together, they form compounds, molecules. And molecules are lifeless. Yet when they come together in the right amount, the right configuration, the right position, in space, then life can occur. That's something amazing that we have not been able to replicate in the lab. Like synthetic biology is trying to do that, trying to create living organisms out of basically non-living things. We haven't yet to do that because everything thus far, the only things that we can do is make life out of life. We've never made life out of non-life. Alright, some of you might be thinking about what if, let's say you sterilize something and you put it on a petri dish and it grows something. Well, bacteria are super hardy and it could have been contamination in the air, but spore-forming bacteria like to form spores when they run out of water and that makes them hardier. Uh, They also have... RNA activity, which means they have gene expression going on too, which is pretty cool. There is a flawed concept that people used to believe in called spontaneous generation, where it was the belief that living things can arise from non-living things. And it was disproven with simply a mason jar and some cloth. People noticed that when food spoiled, flies or maggots at first would form, and then out of those maggots they turn into flies and they fly away. Well, this person disproved it, and 
Thanks to that person, we also have pasteurized milk. Who was it? Louis Pasteur. Pasteur, actually. And so Louis Pasteur took a bunch of red meat, and one was in a mason jar without the cover, the cloth cover, and the other one was in the mason jar with a cloth cover. And what happened was that the ones that weren't covered had maggots grow on them. And eventually, after many observations, they were able to find out that flies were landing on it, laying eggs. But the eggs you couldn't see. But the eggs formed maggots when they hatched. So nothing thus far in the lab has been created synthetically. We have made, however, synthetic nucleotides. They're called xenonucleotides. These xenotides, to put it in this perspective, you know what ribonucleic acid is, RNA, and you know what DNA is, deoxyribose nucleic acid. And so, what is DNA? DNA is a five prime sugar attached to a phosphate molecule with a flavor, a nucleotide flavor, arginine, guanine, cytosine, or thymine. And it's these nucleotides that make the backbone for genetic information, aka hereditary. Not the movie, not, not the creepy movie, but hereditary in terms of passing on genetic information from one cell to the next. Everything does it, so everything's derived from a single basically common ancestor, but in a less, like, time-traveling kind of way. Um, everything comes from something. We're going pretty far away from biochemistry here, but I just wanted to say one last thing, and that was the fact that we haven't been able to make life yet doesn't mean that life can't be made. Life has to come from somewhere. People call it God. Some people call it, well, I call it the universe, because something out there, well, like, I mean, it's science, basically. Whether you believe in God or not, like, let's just say that science is the language of God or something, right? I don't think it's the Bible. I think it's, like, the science. Science and mathematics, maybe it's the language of God. But this raises a hypothesis that life on Earth might have came from Mars, because a long time ago... An asteroid hit Mars. Well, there was water on Mars a long time ago. There might still be water there, trapped underneath or in a canyon, canyon somewhere. Um, but an asteroid hit, and it launched pieces of debris towards Earth. Maybe even Venus, because Venus used to be like Earth until the runaway greenhouse effect occurred. But essentially, NASA and the European Space Agency they tested it, and they took microbes and they put them on rocks and they sent them out into the vacuum of space and they left them there and then they collected them again and they found that the bacteria were okay or they formed spores so is it possible that life came from somewhere yeah is it possible that life came on earth or appeared on earth yeah is it possible that we'll make life one day yeah i mean just because we haven't yet doesn't mean like, what was it? It was 2010. We thought we couldn't make computers the size to fit our pockets, but 
now we have iPhones and Androids. So there you go. So in this first section of the biochemistry review portion of the Doomsday Prepper's Guide to the Uncat, we're going to talk about the properties of life. Biologists like to say living things. Chemists like to say living systems. Whatever you want to call it. Let's call it living organisms. Living organisms are... There's, there's commonalities between living organisms, whether that be a banana cell, a human, a sperm cell, or bacteria, or archaea. But the first characteristic of life, so far from what we've understood over the hundreds of years of science, is that life is highly complicated and organized, and you need to organize this complication inside literally a floating bag of chemicals. And this floating bag of chemicals is known as the cell. Now you have a multicellular organism, which is a bunch of cells with different specializations, specializations existing, performing, functioning, communicating to create a whole organism. And then you have a single-celled organism, like a, a parasitic eukarya or uh, E. coli or archaea or archaea in Yellowstone, the hot baths and stuff. Whether it be a multicellular organism or a single-celled organism, that organism or the things that it needs to carry on living are all contained in something called a cell. Remember that Leeuwenhoek Leuven guy that we talked about with the microscope and he like looked at his sperm under the microscope and stuff? Um, thankfully, he didn't figure out it was a cell. It was Robert Hooke. Robert Hooke, Robert Hooke the uh, 1665, he discovered cells underneath the microscope. He also formed Hooke's Law, and Hooke's Law is basically a formula that shows the spring potential, basically, or how much something can act like a spring. Now, everything can be a spring, if you think about it, because push your skin down and watch it go back up. It's elastic, so Hooke's Law measures elasticity. Just an aside, but Robert Hooke was the head of the English Royal Society. Maybe that ties in with the aristocratic thing, how you need friends in high places to actually do science back in the day. Nowadays, just another aside, I think like academia and government institutions, like yeah, they, they're good because they give more money to researchers. Um, who otherwise would never get the money for their research, right, through grant writing. But at the same time, it creates like a... a limited culture, basically. Like a... Like you hear that term company culture all the time. Like, oh yeah, that company has like a good culture. Like at Google, you, there's a beanbag, and there's a room where you can nap in or something like that, and there's like snack machines. And it's like company culture. And then you get some like toxic culture places like uh, toxic work cultures or toxic academic cultures which a lot of grad students have to sadly deal with because they're treated like lesser humans like lab monkeys basically but I think because there are standards to uphold or to follow in order to get research funding uh, culture is created and out of that culture there's always going to be some bad eggs in the good eggs 
And that's that's all I have to say about that. But Robert Hooke, Hooke's Law, um, when Robert Hooke died, Isaac Newton took over and he burned every single portrait of Robert Hooke, except the ugly one. And so now we only have the ugliest photo of Robert Hooke because of basically Hooke didn't like Newton and Newton didn't like Hooke, but Hooke accused Newton of stealing his discovery or something. Newton's like, no, I figured it out on my own. I don't know, Newton was a virgin his whole life, so literally I think Newton is more believable here than Robert Hooke. Just kidding. And so everything is organized within a cell. All the macromolecules or the organelles, which is, you can think of organelles as an organs, like tiny organs for a cell. They're non-living, they're made out of proteins and RNA molecules, and they function based off of entropy. Now, the second law of thermodynamics states that disorder in the universe always increases, right? Well, a cell is there to contain that disorder, because without a cell, its its contents, its guts, just leak everywhere. So you, you hold everything into a cell, and because you hold everything into a cell, you can fight entropy. Now, when things reach zero when delta g equals zero delta g is gibbs free energy law that's from jen ken we'll talk about that later too when there is no more entropy you're dead so life literally requires disorder to live life finds a way to organize itself in this chaotic mess of entropy and it finds a way to organize itself and it carries on it basically captures more disorder form of like atp or other molecules floating around in the bloodstream and stuff like that if you're a multicellular organism and it captures it to try to organize itself because it's fighting disorder it's it's a really poetic thing and so the next thing is that these biological structures inside cells they serve purposes now, here are some of the organelles for a cell. The Golgi apparatus, the endoplasmic reticulum, the smooth endoplasmic reticulum, the rough endoplasmic reticulum, the nucleus, if you're a eukaryote. Um, there's motor proteins like kinesins to carry things around. There's a cytoskeleton. All this floats around in a cytosol, and everything is surrounded in a plasma membrane, which is a phospholipid bilayer that uses um, the hydrophobic heads, the hydrophilic tails attract each other, the hydrophobic heads repel, and so that creates like a, a bubble of oil, and your the cells basically like a bag of chemicals, bubbled oil, something like that. Now the ribosome is something different, the ribosome is made out of some DNA, but also a lot of RNA which is cool because the ribosomes are called the protein factory of the cell. Okay, then we have the mitochondria, which is also pretty weird because inside the mitochondria, there's its own DNA called mitochondrial DNA that's only inherited through basically mothers. Moms pass down their mitochondrial DNA to their offspring. So you never get your mitochondrial DNA from your dad. You always get it from your mom and your mom's mom, your grandma basically. But all those structures within a cell, they have a purpose. 
and that purpose serves a biological function. Now some things, this ties back to the biology portion of the MCAT. Some structures in biology no longer have a use. These are called vestigial structures. Vestigial meaning, um, I think it means ancient or a remnant of some sort, something that's retained, like retention that's not lost or something like that. And on the macroscopic level, like the entire organism itself, like the fetus has a, a tail at one point in its development, but that tail, the human fetus, that tail disappears. It gets reabsorbed. Sometimes it doesn't and you get that little like the piggy tail. I don't know what it's called, but some people have the piggy tail. But in terms of vestigial structures, are there any on the cellular level? Yeah, there is. Um, even smaller than the cellular level. There's intronic regions, right? They used to be thought of as junk DNA. They're not. They're involved in splicing introns. See, something really like cool is that rice has 60,000 genes, all of which code a different protein. Whereas humans, we have about 20,000 genes. So rice technically is more complex than human beings. But we have 98% of our genome is what they used to call junk DNA, but it's just an intronic region. And this intronic region is capable of splicing. So it takes pieces of DNA from different locations on the genome and it processes it. And it can create different um, types of proteins from the same genome strands. So think of a spliceosome as a pot, a hot pot, or if that's what you call soup or something. And the DNA strands, the different types of uh, the genome that are being thrown in create a different soup at the end of the product. So that's like a little neat way to think of the spliceosome. And the next thing ties back to that entropy thing we were talking about. But living things engage in energy transformations. What does that mean? Living things literally need to maintain themselves and they need to use energy to continue living. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious, right? It's like you need gas to continue driving or electricity to continue driving, depending on how rich you are. And it's these energy transformations. We know them as NADPH or ATP. All ATP is is adenosine triphosphate and we can take it and use a phosphate group like break it and that break has a lot of energy within it see that's all energy is it's just the breaking of bonds well sorry remember from the physics portion of the doomsday preppers guide to the mcat where i said don't listen to people who define energy so sorry about defining energy but when we break chemical bonds, energy is released, and cells use that released energy to perform work. Once the cell takes the ATP molecule and breaks the phosphate bond, it becomes ADP with a free-floating phosphate bond. And ADP can be broken into AMP, adenosine monophosphate, uh, and ADP is adenosine diphosphate. But AMP is important for things occurring in your eyeball and part of the GPCR um, cell signaling cycle involved in like 
long-term cellular changes. And we'll talk about that later. So remember, living things are able to self-replicate. And one of the things that we they use when they break the bonds is to self-replicate. The other thing is to maintain themselves. And the life cycle of a cell can be thought of, well, it's referred to as the cell cycle. And most of the cell's life is called G1. In the G1 phase, it is just maintaining itself. Once it gets to the S phase, that's when it starts to uh, duplicate, or it starts to do protein synthesis, and then there's G2, and then there's, uh, what's it called? Mitosis, where the cell divides, and then you get all the stages like prophase, metaphase, anaphase, telophase, cytokinesis, things like that. But everything I've touched on is a part of the study of molecular biology and also the study of biochemistry. Except biochemistry will go into the nitty gritty, whereas molecular biology is a scope, like a satellite image basically, or scanning electron microscope if you're a nerd. But to summarize everything I've touched on, we can define life essentially to seven criteria. The first one is cellular organization. The second one is cells are able to make copies of themselves or reproduce through sexual or asexual reproduction, or in terms of a multicellular organism through mitosis. Cells or life require energy, so they have a form of metabolism, such as taking the ATP bond, breaking it into ADP and a phosphate group. Cells maintain homeostasis, or they stay organized in a bunch of disorder to continue living, basically. They, they use disorder as a way to, for order to live. This is also known as homeostasis. Every living thing inherits genetic information from its, uh, in this case, parent. For some reason, when a eukaryotic cell divides, or like a multicellular organism cell divides, it's called the, the father cell. But then the two cells that emerge are called daughter cells. Strange, we should just call it mother cells, but whatever. Living things respond to stimuli. So you poke it, it reacts. Or you, you're a red blood cell and all of a sudden it gets extra acidic because the organism you're in has activated fight or flight and now it is quickly using anaerobic respiration to escape death and so the blood becomes more and more acidic as uh, the body uses more oxygen for ATP and to burn glucose stuff like that and the response to that stimulus is a shift in something called the oxygen dissociation curve and that's where it the cell basically is able to carry less oxygen now red blood cells don't have a nucleus so technically they're not alive well, they aren't alive, they're just, think of them as like transporters. But there are cells that respond to stimuli, such as the cardiac cells, or the lung cells, or neurons, glial cells, which maintain uh, the brain, and which are like responsible for 70 or 90% of all brain cancers. All cells have growth and development. So cells maintain themselves, G1 phase, and then 
eventually they, they grow and they develop. Um, when cells divide, cytokinesis and two daughter cells form, they're smaller than, than their mature forms. I mean, they function as cells, but they're smaller. But they will grow, well they won't grow, but they'll get bigger. And that's just a stage of, that's just a characteristic of life. It's that they will develop. And so, just to tie things off here, there's a long-debated debate about viruses. Are they living or are they not living? So, viruses are capable of hijacking a cell and creating more copies of itself, right? Well, that might be true, but the virus isn't living. Well, I consider it non-living. It's it's debated, but most virologists will say viruses aren't living. Because they can't reproduce. They can't make copies of themselves without entering a host. They don't really maintain homeostasis. They are just floating genetic packages, basically. And if it enters a cell, it, it causes a change. So they, they're not maintaining homeostasis. Like, if you increase the temperature, a virus isn't going to react to it. That's another thing. It's not going to respond to stimuli. And hereditary, RNA can technically, a virus can technically, like the flu, can carry on mutations or COVID-19 and get more virulent. Um, but it's it's not the same as, as inheriting something from a cell passing down to a cell because it, it uses another organism, which is the host cell that it, it hijacks. And viruses don't grow. So that's the end of the biochemistry section of the Doomsday Prepper's Guide to the MCAT. Well, the end of part one. There's going to be many parts. The next part that we're going to talk about will be the biomolecules. Um, biomolecules, in this sense, are... Think of them as things made out of chon or chomps or something like that. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus. It's not chomps, it's chinops, which is ridiculous, but it's, it's how I can remember it. And it's these elements that create macro or biological macromolecules. And if you take it back to OCHEM, organic chemistry is a study of carbon bonds. So in biochemistry, these macromolecules are made up of mainly carbon. So there you go again, we're like tying in pieces and bits of the previous sections into a more cohesive form. So that's it for this section. It, it was a lot more lecture-based than previous sections, and that's because I really like biochemistry. But, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can joke around with in terms of biochemistry. There will be more jokes about chemistry. I'll, I'll get funnier, promise. But yeah, that's that's it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I'll catch you next time, which will be pretty soon. Uh, next one, I think we're going back to either biology or psychology. So, see you then. <laughs>